it's not about necessarily doing less if you feel you're good at it or if you enjoy it. Because sometimes when my husband has helped, I actually find that more stressful because he doesn't do it as well as I'd like him to. And also he doesn't do it in the time frame I'd like him to. So then I get double the stress because I'm having to try to remember to remind him to do it and to do it how I'd like. And actually, I kind of prefer to do it better myself. But what I really want is the recognition for it. So I don't want him to do stuff. I want him to see what I've done and be grateful for it and kind of praise for it. And the same with my kids as well. So if it's recognition we want, then we need to also say that too. Hello, and welcome to Parenthood, conversations about life after kids. I'm your host, Leonia Kidanor, and every fortnight I will bring you discussions about the real and raw realities of parenting, life behind the Instagram filter. Join us as we laugh, cry, and bond over the organized chaos that is parenthood. Hi, everyone. We are very excited to be joined here today by international parent guru expert, uh, Sarah Ockwell-Smith. Sarah, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. No, so thrilled. And we've got Liv here as well. Liv, hi, how are we? Nice to be here, (laughs) this transatlantic uh, recording that we're doing. (laughs) So look, for everyone who doesn't know about Sarah and how fabulous she is, let me tell you a little bit about her. So she's a mother of four teenagers, um, an author of 13 parenting books uh, translated in over 30 countries, which have sold almost half a million copies. She has a degree in psychology, is an antenatal teacher, hypnotherapist, infant massage instructor, doula. Like, I don't think there is anything that you haven't done, Sarah. (laughs) And you've now worked with thousands of families um, providing expert advice and support. And now you're here with us. So we are thrilled to really um, get into your new book and questions around that. So um, your latest book is How to Be a Calm Parent. um, And Liv and I have both absolutely loved it. And what I liked about it, Sarah, is that I certainly went went into it, looked at the title and went, oh, I know what this will be about. It will be (laughs) self-care techniques, meditate more, do yoga, you know, all the things. And it was not that at all, which was actually fantastic. Um, I think I'm certainly probably not the first person who's told you that, Sarah, with, um, with the preconceived ideas around what it could be about. When I announced that I was writing the book, I think maybe like the first or the second reply to the announcement on social media was, oh, please tell me this isn't all about yoga and breathing and bubble baths because people are just sick of that message. And those things actually help. Obviously they do. But, you know, I I talk a lot in the book about self-care and how self-care can actually be really damaging for mothers when we feel that it's something else that we need to do. It's another chore that we need to get through every day. And also then when it doesn't work, we think there's something wrong with us. And we're like, well, you know, I've tried the self-care and even the self-care didn't work. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in your book, you go through so many topics that I know Liv and I were just nodding our heads going, yes, you know, from, you know, and essentially what it's about or or what I got out of it, Sarah, was it's let's look at the facets of our lives that is um, that are creating us not to be calm. Like what is sort of, you know, triggering us and, and why aren't we calm? And let's tackle those uh, topics. And then essentially, then we can become calmer 
it for ourselves and for our children. Um, what I want to do, because we've, we've got a fair few um, sort of um, aspects to cover, and I was like, I had a million questions after the book. <laughs> but we've sort of narrowed it down to three key chapters in your book um, that we think our audience will get a lot of benefit from. And uh, I think everyone's going to laugh when they hear this because it's so us and our community. But the first chapter I want to delve into is why busy is not a badge of uh, to aim for, discovering the lost art of doing nothing. So <laughs> that is like a drop the mic like moment right there. So, so you, I want to start with Sarah. You were once crowned Britain's busiest mother, um, but you know, you were exhausted. Talk to us about that time in your life. So I think, you know, I have to go Britain's busiest mum, I think happened in about 2010, 2011. But if I kind of wind back the clock to when I had my first born in 2002, before that, I had a really good job in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, you, and I was earning a lot of money with a lot of good prospects. And everybody I knew was really happy for me. And they would say, you know, well done, and you know, have an amazing career. And then when I had my first child, everything felt quite meaningless. So I gave up my job to have um, to to just be a mum. And from that moment, nobody congratulated me anymore on what I was doing. It was, you know, very, I was very much just a mum. And I remember I opened my son a bank account and the bank manager that was doing the application said, oh, what's your occupation? And previously I would say, well, you know, I'm an, um, an analyst for a pharmaceutical company. And I was like, oh, I don't think I have one. I think I'm just a mum. <laughs> so he wrote housewife, which really irritated me. It's, you know, the fact that... I didn't feel that I was contributing to society as just a mum or just a housewife. So I felt the need, totally subconsciously, you know, totally of my own doing, to somehow excel at being the best one and be not just a mum, but also to start my own business, join every committee and volunteer things that I could find. Um, and it was all I think about my self-esteem and the fact that we do not value motherhood in our society at all. We seem to mm. think that you need to be a mother and something to give back to the economy, to, you know, be a useful person in society. So I basically, then I have four kids within four years, which is busy enough as it is. But on top of that, I really, I had like two self-employed businesses going. I was joining, you know, anything that needed a volunteer. So at my kids' nursery, if they said, oh, we need somebody to organize um, a family fun day or something, I'd be volunteering, even before I thought about whether I could do it or not. And this all came to a head then when I entered this competition and I was really busy. So I, at that time I had um, three businesses, I think, um, I w and four kids under, I think they would have been under eight then, under 10. Um, but, you know, I can't actually even remember how old they were, but I was on the school committee and on the school parent-teacher association. I felt really proud, like, mm. look how great I am. Look at all this stuff that I'm man managing to balance and juggle. So I saw this competition. I thought, I actually think I am really busy. So I entered it, not to win the, sort of the accolade, but because part of the prize was a Caribbean holiday, which I really wanted. And then I won. And then I had this makeover, which was really stressful. Um, and they sort of dressed me up and did my makeup and did my hair. And I looked like really cool and everybody was like oh well done Sarah you look amazing and I just felt completely and utterly dead inside 
And at the time, I actually didn't think there was anything wrong with it. I still thought it was a good thing, something to be proud of. And looking back now, I was so ridiculously exhausted. Like, I kept going to the doctors and saying, there's something wrong with me. Please take blood tests. You know, I must have a thyroid condition or something. And the GP would just look at me and say, Sarah, you have lots of children. And I was like, no, I, it can't be normal to be this tired. Mm. Um and I just really felt like I was doing a good job by balancing all these balls. And it was something to be proud of. And people congratulated me. You know, people were really happy for me that I was so busy. Mm. And it just felt, I felt I would be lazy in some way if I was like, actually, do you know what? This is too much. I'm going to stop doing it and focus on just being a mum. And it mm. took me a long time to realise that actually most of these thoughts were coming from me in my own head. It was about my own upbringing. I still do think we don't value motherhood in society. Mm. I still do think we think stay-at-home mums or mums who work part-time are being a bit lazy. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of had a real epiphany um, over the COVID lockdown. Um, I really struggle with not doing very much. And mm. um, I do actually think one of my sons has ADHD, and I'm pretty sure I have ADHD, but I've kind of masked it my whole life. So relaxing has been problematically has been problematic for me forever but even more so when being a mum and actually still now if I sit down and do nothing I still have these pangs of guilt when I'm thinking I should be doing something productive Mm, I so can relate Liv what do you reckon is that us in a nutshell sounds like you sounds like you Lee I'm trying really hard to sit in the yeah finding time for myself Mm. and that was the realization for me during COVID almost the opposite to you Sarah that yeah I will benefit from that time and you know you obviously did too but yeah to just find that time and build it in to stop because we all you know how are you is, you know often the question that we ask everyone and what's it met with busy mm. <laughs> I'm so busy and I just mm. want to describe myself in another way other than busy all the goddamn time because I'm so many other emotions other well and things other than just busy yeah, 100%. At what point did you realize, Sarah, that, that just this just wasn't working? Like, did you hit burnout? What happened? I think I always knew that it was unhealthy. Um, I was always constantly on edge and constantly stressed and constantly anxious. And the irony was, was I was teaching parents how to be calmer and more relaxed. And it was quite interesting, actually. My first book was called Baby Calm. My second book was called Toddler Calm. And this is like right sort of 10 years ago now. And 10 years ago, people were saying to me, the next book's going to be Parent Calm, right? And I was like, well, genuinely, I don't think I can Adult like calm. <laughs> I'm not calm and I, I don't know how to be. So I always knew it was a problem. But I think sort of things came to a head when um, two or three years ago, I had sort of health problems and COVID all came in at once. And it was ultimately it was the lockdowns that forced me to think okay you know you are doing way too much and it was the fact that I couldn't do anything that it felt so uncomfortable at first but then I had to sort of sit with those feelings and think why am I finding this so difficult when a lot of people I know are really enjoying it so yeah really COVID I think 
Yeah. Sorry, there was an I love hearing that. I love hearing that siren. That takes me right back to living in the UK and hearing <laughs> sirens whiz past all the time. Thank you for making me feel like home. For the <laughs> second, have, right when, when I'm talking on here, like, we'll have like one a week. <laughs> yeah. oh. um, so given all of that then, Sarah, what should people be looking for where in signs that their body is reaching burnout? So, I mean, I talk in the book, there are different stress responses. Um, you may, if you, so I'm talking about fight, flight, fawn or freeze here. So fight could be that you're constantly on edge, like you feel like you're about to get into a fight at any one moment. You might be very shouty. You can often feel yourself sort of holding tension in your body, like a coiled spring ready to kind of, um, bounce, let go, hit, or actually what commonly comes up then is shouting. Um, Mm. Freezing would be very much that you're kind of stuck, so you feel very heavy and you've got sort of no motivation, you find it hard to keep going, and you sort of tend to try and avoid conversations that would be difficult, um, Mm. which is sort of fairly similar I guess to taking flight but with the flight response you're sort of ready to disappear away from things so you are really actively avoiding things and the one that I find the most interesting is the fawn response which so many of us were raised to do which is basically when we find ourselves in difficult situations we tend to try and placate and please the other people and put our own needs last and I think it's a really common one for mums so we sort of bury our own needs to focus on everybody else and then what happens when you keep burying your own needs is you ultimately reach a place of burnout so you're more exhausted than you would be from sort of getting up during the night and looking after young children and lots of kind of like me I would come down with loads of um small viruses and colds like I was constantly under Mm. the weather um Mm. or, or difficulty sleeping when you can sleep so when your kids are sleeping that's quite a common one but it will be different for everybody and can be over different time periods too. For yeah. for some people, it can you know really come up on you quite quickly. For others, it can be years and years and years of putting kids and partners first, and then realizing all of a sudden, oh my goodness, yeah. Whether it's the fight or the fawn or whatever it might be in your yeah. your time period, it can be very difficult. Mm. I'd love to talk about the fight response, mm-hmm. maybe more so in just something that I've been reflecting on in my own parenting style and that is my eruption and your chapter four around, you know, parents needing to be calmer to make the headspace so we're not always on the brink of yelling. Yeah. I just find I yell a lot or my toddler yells and I meet him with yelling in response and I think, God, who's the parent here? And so I go to the space of is that because I'm not calm because I'm so busy or is it, you know, a parenting response? One of the other things, now I'm jumping all over, but one of the other things that you said was, um, you know, kids have such immature brains and, you know, remember when you are fighting with them that, they're a toddler, they're a child, they're not able to meet you at the place that you're at. What has been, yeah, I'm fascinated to talk a little bit more about that and what we can be doing more to catch ourselves uh, before I yell at my toddler again. Yeah, I mean, the frustrating thing is there isn't any one particular reason. You know, obviously everybody's different, but even individual people, there won't be 
one underlying reason. So, yes, a strength a stress response that's focused on fighting will make you more likely to shout and yell, but you've got the fact that actually it's just really hard at the moment. And I think we're probably all yelling more than we would ordinarily just because, you know, life, Mm. COVID, Russia, Ukraine, fuel prices and everything Mm. else we're having to deal with. Um, Mm. Yeah, and it kind of, it does all boil up inside. And then the other two things I think are massive is that we have, as you kind of mentioned yourself, completely unrealistic expectations of children in our society. Um, A lot of the advice we're given for parenting and discipline seems to imply that good children are those who are quiet and compliant and don't answer back and do what they're told to immediately. And when our kids don't do that because they're real kids, not the, you know, textbook kids, <laughs> but when they do behave in ways that are entirely normal, but we're led to believe are naughty, then that then makes us angry mm. at our children, but also at ourselves. You know, why can't my kids behave when everybody else's do? And then the final mm. reason is how we were raised ourselves. So if we were raised to be good and compliant and quiet, then when our kids act in ways that we were never allowed to as children, that is going to really, really trigger us. And we're going to feel this like rage and this indignation rising. And it's not about our children and us in the present. It's more about what would have happened to us if we had acted like that towards our parents and carers. And then Mm. the final reason is if you were raised with parents who shouted and yelled a lot, not necessarily even at you, but you know, like maybe at each other, then that is going to be almost your default reaction to dealing with stressful situations. If you Mm. raise children by yelling at them, Mm. they are going to yell at their own children. There's so much happening. And I think, um, and you do mention this in the book as well, um, and it's very topical at the moment, the mental load that's compounded by, you know, needing to do everything and be everything for everyone and excel in our career and be in all the committees and then have to figure out, okay, which birthday party we're going to, which gift do we have to buy? What, who's doing the laundry? Is the chicken in the oven? You know, all the things that compound our lifestyles. Mm -hmm. Um, and funnily enough, Liv and I did an episode on the mental load more recently. And it was one of our most listened to episodes. So very topical at the moment. Um, yeah. and, and I think that also, as Liv was saying, sort of gets you on the brink of just eruption because there is just so much going on in our culture. Uh-huh. Things have changed a bit parenting-wise. If you look at the research, so if we're talking heterosexual couples now, that um, and obviously if you are in a couple, that dads are actually doing a lot more than they were doing when we were children. but what they're doing a lot more of is the practical work, so the physical load. So they'll change nappies, they'll do night feeds, they'll get up. But what's still happening is there's a huge sort of inequality in the way that the mental work is split. What's interesting, actually, is that if you look at same-sex couples, then that load is shared more equally. However, there is still a discrepancy in that the partner who earns the most and is seen as the main breadwinner still does less. So it's almost falling back into that old kind of masculine type 1950s role, like the main breadwinner. But Mm. I think we're sharing the physical load much better than we used to, but we're not sharing the mental load more. And I actually think that we are often quite to blame for that. And I I don't want to make people feel guilty, but 
as mums, we do really, really well at things like organising holidays, organising birthdays and presents and parties and organising stuff for nursery and school and organising like the family's medical needs and all those sorts of things, you know, that the sort of the life admin, um, you know, planning what we're going to eat the next week, doing the food shop and stuff like that. And we do this really well and we kind of take it on almost unconsciously. But we're really bad at asking for help with it and really bad at sharing it. And I can't remember if I said this in the book or not, but I would often get really angry at my husband for not doing his share more of the mental load, like for not taking on more of this stuff, because I personally find it more draining with the mental load than the physical load. So I get really, really Mm. angry at him. But I would have these conversations in my head and almost presume that he's psychic and know that how how I was feeling <laughs> and I get re- and, and actually a couple of times I've even had dreams and I've woken up angry at him and he hasn't got a clue about any of this stuff because it all goes on inside my own head and I kind of think well what I really do need to do is to discuss this so in the book there's like a, a whole massive long exercise for you to do together but Actually raising the points is really important. I think a lot of women don't. They just get very, very angry. Um, What's quite interesting, actually, in the UK, I don't know if it's the same in Australia, but yesterday it was Mothering Sunday or Mother's Day. And I've seen Mm. so many posts today from mothers who were saying, I'm really upset about how yesterday went, you know, I still did, I still cooked the dinner, you know, I still did the housework and, um, you know, all like, I got like a shop bought card and a shop bought bunch of flowers when all I really wanted was somebody to just make the dinner and do the housework and make me a homemade card. And I was reading like this 30 women saying how difficult they'd found it. And the overriding thing that kind of struck me was, I wonder how many of these people have actually had a conversation with their partners about Mm -hmm. this. We, We get really upset and really angry but I think that they're just inherently men seem to be quite different to us. I know that there isn't actually sort of in my other work, I've spoken about um, differences in what we believe are differences between men and women in our brains actually aren't. They're all created by society. But mm. I genuinely think a lot of men don't think about this stuff and we can't mm. get angry if we don't raise it. But the other, totally agree. The yeah. other thing is it's not about necessarily doing less if you feel you're good at it or if you enjoy it, because sometimes when my husband has helped, I actually find that more stressful because he doesn't do it as well as I'd like him to. And also he doesn't do it in the time frame I'd like him to. So then I get double stress because I'm having to try to remember to remind him to do it and to do it how I'd like. And actually, I kind of prefer to do it better myself. But what I really want is the recognition for it. So I don't want him to do stuff. I want him to see what I've done and be grateful for it and kind of praise him for it. And the same with my kids as well. So if it's recognition we want, then we need to also say that too. Mm, 100% and it sounds so cheesy but uh, that's that's been the biggest thing for me getting that recognition and more recently I said to Jules my husband I was like you're just not appreciating what I'm doing like it's just like you're I'm spinning wheels around you and you're just like yeah cool you know what I'm like tell me well done Leonie tell me nice dinner Leonie tell you know tell me the things and so more recently you know he's he's become more mindful of that and the other day he looks at me he's like look at me because I'm always like you're not acting listening like and you're not actively like you know engaged in this conversation so I was doing the dishes he's like put the dishes down Leonie I need to tell you something it's like I'm actively engaging in you with with you with this conversation right now and then he said I really appreciate the dinner and thank you for doing the dishes darling and I was like 
this is kind of cheesy, but okay, I'll take it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But it, I think the first step is just acknowledging and it was a bit of a funny thing, but, you know, the more with repetition, you know, that we have these conversations, I think the less resentment that we'll, we'll build. I don't yeah. know, Liv, like have you, is the recognition piece a big thing for you? Yeah, I just feel like silence gives rise to approval for that situation, right? Like it's going to keep happening if you don't communicate with anything in life. So, yeah, being clear around, yeah, the level of appreciation or, yeah, what's important to you is just so, so important. We've certainly had all of those conversations. I was like, I'm just proud there are two types of vegetables on that plate, right? I didn't even get to three. I haven't got the colour wheel, but do you know how much effort went in to just get those two vegetables? Like I need you, yeah, to really appreciate me for that, God damn it. Yeah. yeah, you know, they're the littlest things, but yeah, as we spoke about when we did that mental load and a similar exercise to what you've got in your book, Sarah, which is yeah, just so valuable. The conversation around, and that was certainly the learning in our relationship when Mark said, but you like going to the supermarket and you like cooking. And if I was to set foot in uh, the kitchen, then you'd yell at me. So don't give me a hard time about not doing those things Mm -hmm. and really working through the distribution was probably the most, yeah, influential and powerful thing that's happened in our relationship since we've had kids. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a really important thing to do. So the resentment doesn't build. Yeah, and changing languages well like the you know often mine will say to me oh what's for dinner tonight or I've I've yeah. I've hoovered for you and I'm like no yeah. you've not hoovered for me you've yeah. hoovered because you live here and it needed hoovering <laughs> and you know why do I have to decide what's for dinner? so I think yeah changing the language as well as the appreciation really helps Absolutely. One thing and a piece of feedback that we received from our um, episode on the mental load was, well, what about the single parents? Like they don't Mm. have people necessarily to share that load with. You touch on this a little bit in your book, Sarah, but just in general, what sort of guidance could you give to single parent families? So, I mean, it's so hard. I'm often, every time I sort of do a talk or a workshop, I'm asked something where there is really no easy answer. Mm. Um, and this is one of them. I think we have to understand and appreciate how bloody hard it is. And sometimes it doesn't matter, you know, how long you've researched or been working in this field, there just aren't answers to it. So I think you have to start with the first step of acknowledging how hard it is and acknowledging quite what you're doing and what an amazing job you're doing and feeling prouder of yourself rather than a lot of single parents will really beat themselves up about the bad things they're doing or what they they presume they're failing at, but don't focus on how amazingly they're doing. And that kind of that slight mind shift doesn't take any of the load away, but I think is much more helpful. And then I talk in the book, obviously, about asking for help. Um, I think as children, we were all raised to not need help. So we were all raised that when we were having kind of difficult feelings and tantrums, we were excluded. We were sent to our room. We were sat in timeout or naughty stuff or something. And we were basically raised from a very young age to think that when I'm having these difficult emotions and when I'm not coping, I should be quiet and good and keep that to myself and not bother my parents or my carers. So I think it's kind of breaking that mould and thinking, okay, I I do need to ask for help here, Um, which in itself is is hard. I do completely acknowledge, though, that 
even if you do ask for help, that sometimes you don't get that help. And that can be really difficult, um, depending on the relationships you have with your friends and your family. I um, have a partner, but I have my parents died when I was very, very young. And so did my um, husband. So we are totally alone. I have no family to ask for help with. So I kind of understand that a little bit. If you are in that situation, then I think it's about trying to create that tribe around you. So what can you do to try and bring people into your life where you could almost like make a parenting cooperative? So, um, you know, when you're really struggling, I can help you. And then when I'm really struggling, you can help me and so forth. So Mm -hmm. it's like obviously friends, but friends with, I I don't want to say friends with benefits because that would sound very wrong. (laughs) It's like creating that environment around you where you can help them and they can help you. And, you know, that's Mm, really hard as well because we're really bad at making friends as adults. But Mm. I think you have to reach out and become uncomfortable and have these conversations and try to meet new people and set things up, you know. And and this is why, you know, the internet's really good because you can go and find, like, a single parenting group wherever you live and raise these conversations there. And if there isn't one, then absolutely start a discussion group and start raising it and see how you can help each other out there. But there's no easy answer Mm. to that, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And this is what I love about the book, though. It's bringing to life all of the things like we're just chugging along, living our everyday lives, you know, chaos building in our minds and not talking about things. And and what I love about the book is that you really do just break it down into what are the aspects of our lives that make it so that we're not calm and therefore not calm parents. So mm-hmm. I think it's really good. And I really reflected on a lot of the topics that you um that let in with Sarah. Like it's fantastic just to look at it and go, okay, well, how can I be doing this better? Um, One of the chapters I thought was really interesting was about the complexities of being a working parent and the guilt that that can come from that. Um, but what I loved was you, you made a comment there and I don't know if it was from, um, someone you'd interviewed, but you base, they basically said being a working parent makes me a calm parent. And uh-huh. I never really looked at things that way. I was like, that's so, that's so me. Like I need, and I know Liv, you'd probably attest to this too. For I sit here profusely. Yeah. yeah. I'm a better parent without doubt and a calmer parent because, I yeah do work and that mm-hmm. in some ways I feel like a cheat some days that it feels easier to go to work than it would be to be at home with my children yeah. and you know the guilt that, that I then feel around that is yeah is immense it's yeah an interesting thing to yeah break down absolutely but, I mean, you do you'll you'll feel guilty whether you work or you don't want work you will feel guilty I think we're owning that I I really think these podcast (laughs) sessions have really just got us to a point of it is what it is right like let's just stop beating ourselves up we are just all so tough on ourselves that you know we're failing at something yeah the mindset shift has got to happen and yeah we've just got to do the best we can ask dads do you feel guilty for working we we actually had that exact conversation. I said, I feel guilty if it gets to 4.45 and I haven't left the office. And Mark said, I don't feel guilty if I'm still sitting at the at my desk at 5.30, let alone 6. He's like, and I don't want, and he was trying to get me to shift my guilt and thinking around. He's like, I have dinner covered. I, you know, it's no use you coming home at 6.30 anyway, because I've done all of yeah. the heavy, heavy lifting. So just be at the office if that's going to make you feel better. But still, 
the shift is just one through my own lived experiences and yeah, anyone putting their own personal views on me that I yeah, still feel guilty and that I'm not being a good parent because I yeah, just I'm don't not think there. men can understand it. You know, they speak from the privilege of being a male and not having mm. all of this stuff on their shoulders from society, from like the, the hangover from hundreds of years ago from being a woman, you know, I, they can't understand <laughs> because they can't understand. Mm. And I don't think they ever will. But yeah, I mean, whatever you yeah. do, feel bad, whether you work, whether you stay at home, or mm. I often say I had the worst of both worlds because I worked, but I worked from home. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is so many, co- all parents after COVID, isn't it? You know, really, the, there hasn't been any, yeah. Yeah, work and life have just merged in together and the separation between the two has been, yeah, non-existent. I mean, good for me, you know, sort of shame employers that we can work more flexibly, which is really something yeah. that we need to have happening as parents. But, yeah, so COVID working was both amazing and awful at the same time, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> So is yes. there is there um, sort of a good way we're talking a bit about mindset shift here? Um, and Liv, you sort of you know made mention of what Mark said. Look, I've got this covered. You know, let's shift the mindset there around you coming home a little later from work. I mean, what you know, Sarah, you've spoken to so many parents, and in all of the work that you do, mm-hmm. you know, what things come to mind around helping with that mindset shift? <sighs> Again, there's no magic answer here. I think we just have to, because we're not really dealing with reality. We're dealing with what's going on inside our own head. It's like the mental load conversation all over again. You know, so in reality, your kids are happy. They're probably with somebody they have a good attachment with, whether that's, you know, the family member or with a key worker at nursery or childmind or whatever. So the reality is that the kids are fine. And (laughs) in our own heads, you know how do we how do we deal with that when when we talk through the reality we know they're okay yeah but we still think that they're not I, I genuinely do not know what the answer is to be honest mm. apart I, do you know what it's yeah for me when I catch myself going in there I start saying I just try to be kinder to myself because it's like I'm going into this place of just beating myself up for yeah. not f- for feeling like I'm failing and I just I've literally I'm sitting in my car or sitting on the train just saying I'm doing they're okay exactly what you just said Sarah and I'm doing the best that I can exactly. and just by being a bit kind to myself I kind of just yeah sit back into that and nothing bad has happened and my kids are perfectly perfectly okay and I am just doing my best so I think that's a big thing for all our parents we just got to stop beating ourselves up the whole goddamn time and you know if you didn't just stayed at home you still come up with a million reasons why that was a bad well yeah yeah. Oh, the load of washing is still sitting in that washing machine from when I put it on at nine and it got to five o'clock. What was I doing? Or you know, there's always something. Thinking, am I setting a bad example for my children? Am I sort of setting the example that women stay at home and look after the housework? Mm. So mm. you know, I've been both. I've I've been out to work. I've been at home and doing just parenting, and then I've also been a working woman. In every situation, I felt guilty. 
Mm. And I wonder if it's compounded as well. I mean, you do touch on this in the book as well around social media and being able to have a glimpse into other people's lives. I know, you Mm. know, you're sitting on the train on the way home from work, you're scrolling and, you know, that parent was at the park with their kid today or that parent went to a, you know, a little play center and then, oh, well, my kid was at daycare. You know, like there's so many opportunities to compare and feel bad about your situation. Um, And Mm. I know you say, Sarah, like social media, it's a little bit devilish the way it can kind of get you. You're really going to manage how you use it. Um, did you have any more comments around that, Sarah, around the social media bit? It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, I'm really grateful that I became a parent before social media really existed. So, you know, back in the day when I had mine, we had friends reunited and that was about it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Facebook didn't really exist until I had my last child. And by that point, you're in such a different headspace. But I think it can be really helpful because it can provide that tribe that we're missing. And if you meet the right people, it can be really, really helpful, particularly when we're feeling really isolated. But then if you're Mm. surrounding yourself with people who make you feel inadequate, then it can be incredibly toxic. And we, we forget that what we see on particularly things like Instagram, it's not real life. It's what people are choosing to share. So it's like their absolute highlights. And if their kids look immaculate and they look immaculate and their homes look immaculate, then, you know, it's, it's as real as going to see a movie at the cinemas. That's what they've <laughs> chosen to portray. But in our heads, you know, there's a, when we first see those, we're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, they look better than me. Their house is better. They're more fun. They're more interesting. Their kids seem happier. And I think we all know that it's not real, but we get caught up in the, oh, I don't think I'm good enough. But it's it's not real. We have to keep reminding ourselves it's not real. And I think we have to use social media really mindfully. And if we're getting more anxiety from it than we're getting help from it, then... Delete. <laughs> yeah. Unfollow. Yeah. <laughs> Unfollow, detox. Well. Yeah. 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 But it is, I do get that it has a real positive side as well. Mm. Yeah. But it's just when yeah. you step over and you're thinking, okay, this is making me feel more anxious than positive, then it's time to move yeah. away. Absolutely. And I think there's definitely been, the tide is changing with social media. I know what, um, you know, what is becoming quite popular now is more the real life stuff and, you know, the, the behind the scenes and the not so glossy photos and, you know, yeah. all of that. I know a lot of the people I watch, um, I follow uh, like other parenting, um, you know, I, I don't want to use the word influencers, but, you know, mm-hmm. other parenting people who are sharing their lives. And I love just seeing like the funny stuff and the funny sides <laughs> of parenthood. And I think that's what Liv and I sort of bring to the table with the, with the podcast as well. We're just trying to bring that authenticity and reality and the funny humor around this situation, um, which, you know, can be pretty full on and exhausting being a parent. So, um, yeah, hopefully we see more of that. I know, yeah, the ones mm-hmm. like I used to follow the perfect, you know, life of so-and-so and yeah, yeah it just wasn't wearing perfect well match cream and brown outfits and <laughs> lots of pampas grass and lots of natural things and yeah. But then yeah. the other thing that really irritates me is the fact that um, advertising has jumped on this, oh, let's show real parenthood or real motherhood and they've turned all of it into adverts and that I think irritates me more than anything else but... Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
just generally adverts <laughs> on social media when and you, just, yeah. you can see the oh, insincerity. They're everywhere. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think people um, will be leaving in droves. Yeah. So, look, I think we've we've tackled a fair few fantastic um, topics today. I mean, for everyone out there, get the book. It is so good. Liv and mm. I got so much out of it. Liv, before we um, we wrap up on this one, any sort of final words for uh, regarding the book? Oh, I'm just going to keep going back to manage those eruptions and be kind to ourselves. Let's just stop beating ourselves up. I think, yeah, we can all be the calm parents that we want to be, but it starts with just taking a deep breath, right, and stop giving ourselves a hard time. I think that's what, yeah, I loved how you articulated that, Sarah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Sarah, how can people find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so um, well, I'm just my name everywhere, Sarah Ocosmith on <laughs> social media and my website. Yeah. So yeah, I'm on. I've literally joined every social media platform there is now. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, you will keep it real. That I'm yes, sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much again, Sarah, for your time. And um, yeah, it was great to chat. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. Want to be part of the Parenthood community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Parenthood Pod. Now I'll let you get back to the organised chaos. Until next time.